You are listening to Life Clips, episode 40. Thanks, guys. We made it to number 40. Hello, hello, hello. We are at episode 40 here on Life Clips, and this is going to be an amazing episode. Absolutely amazing. So thank you for letting us come here to our 40th episode. Um, I don't even know. I'm at a loss of words. God has definitely uh, moved and blessed this podcast. And uh, I'm not looking for uh, a gazillion subscribers and both on the podcast and also on YouTube. I- I'm just looking for God to move and him to open the doors and uh, to share these uh, videos, the podcast, whatever. However you hear these and get your content is what I'm I'm so excited about. I, I love to see God move. So anyway, on this episode 40, um, it, we're bringing really this book in for a close. We've got this week and uh, next week is going to be our last week. And then hopefully I can bring some pastors on here to um, kind of encourage us and move us in the direction biblically where we need to be. And the reason I want to bring, I, I bring pastors on uh, both in video and hopefully live and in person is because... I want to make sure that I'm not involved in this, basically. Yes, I am dissecting her book, but when it comes to the biblical way of truth teaching, not that I can't go to the Bible and teach you, of course, but I want you to hear it from pastors, real men of God who properly exegete God's Word. So anyway, on this 40th episode here today, this is going to be a very uh, meaty, weighty episode. So I highly encourage you to um, grab your coffee and grab your tea and sit back and and just really hear me out. You know, and I know there's been a lot of thumbs down and, and people commenting and that's fine. As long as you're listening, that's fine. I don't care about the thumbs down. What I care about is the um, condition of your of your soul. And if you were to draw your last breath, where would you spend eternity? So before I begin, I do want to say that the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. It's very simple. If you believe through faith in your heart that Jesus was, um, he died, buried, rose again, and is coming again, that's the gospel. That's the simplicity of the gospel. All you have to do is believe with faith in those things. And um, so anyway, we're going to sit here on on episode 40 um, because th- there are some pivotal parts of what we're discussing here today, and especially in her book, QAnon and A Thousand Years of Peace. The rapture is a vital um, passage in the Bible where we as believers have our blessed hope. We're excited to be out of here one day. And as I record this, this is pre-election. And, you know... It can happen at any moment. The world is ripe for all of this to happen. The stage is so perfectly set. And we're seeing that with the conditioning of the masks and what we can and can't do and how quickly we see humanity obeying to, especially here in America, where it's still we the people, but we just sit back and take whatever garbage they're throwing at us. And those who buck the system... You know, we get harassed by the Karens and the Kyles and things of that nature. So um, 
But anyway, so the stage is set and there is coming a day where this antichrist will come on the scene. And according to Melissa, it's not an actual person. It's a system, which is not true. And then in the middle of the tribulation, after he um, creates the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation, he will, through the working of the false prophet, tell the world whoever's left at that point because remember there's going to be a lot of people killed in the first half of the tribulation um, a lot of the population will be decimated so those who were left in the middle of the tribulation at that point in order to buy or sell they have to take the mask i'm sorry i mean the mark did that on purpose right the mask you can't go anywhere without it i mean i do so but um a lot of people don't they're afraid right and depending on which state you live in, it's even worse. So um, I'm blessed, as I've always said, to live here in Florida. Thank you, Lord, for Governor Ron DeSantis. And we did not get Andrew Gillum because Lord knows what this state would look like right now. Kind of probably a lot like New York and California. So anyway, um, and that's why voting is so important. And I know when this airs, it'll be long after the election votes are in. So hopefully our boy wins. Uh, anyway, so with that being said, um, there will be a mark implemented. So she does not believe that in a physical mark, nor does she believe in a human being coming as the Antichrist. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to start with truth first, and then we're going to move into the false, which is Melissa. And I, I trust again that if you're a born-again believer and you follow QAnon, that the Holy Spirit would convict you and finally you will find truth. And if you're that born again believer, I implore you today, please contact me. I would love to have you here on live clips and say, man, I was woken up like I was deceived and I thought this was Christian and I thought this was supposed to happen and we were supposed to fight the beast and blah, blah, blah. And God used you. You know, that's the whole point of this is I want to make sure that God uses me, that God takes my flesh out of it he doesn't he he takes me out of it and he inserts himself because that's the whole point of this podcast and the youtube channel so with that being said we have to remember that melissa is not speaking truth she's not speaking biblical truth she is lying to the masses and that's why we're doing this so then on the other side if you are a q follower and you're not born again i implore you today to get saved to become born again. And I stated in the beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, tells you how to get there. And uh, there's nothing else. There's no fancy things that you have to do. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to hoot and holler down an aisle in a church. It can just be in the quietness and the stillness of wherever you are right now between you and God. And it's a heartfelt, through faith, confession that, you know, Jesus is what you need and you believe in all of that so again we're going to start differently we're going to get into truth i'm going to have a little snippets from different pastors uh, we're also going to sit a little bit of course with dr andy because uh, you know he's my fave and again i like dr andy because he breaks down like word for word the word of god and it's really amazing to get into his series and um, to hear that because he kind of brings the Bible to life, so to speak, because now you're like, oh, that's what that means. Okay, I got it. I got it. And then you can actually be a Berean as we read in Acts 17 and find out these things for yourself. 
So without me getting all into the Bible, because I'm going to leave that up to the pastors. And again, I can do that. And I have done that through the duration of this podcast. But when we get into these meaty, weighty episodes, I kind of want to remove myself and I want to put men of God out front and men of God who are teaching directly from the word of God and what's up. So um, we read in Daniel chapter eight, verse 23 through 27, it kind of gives a description of this antichrist who is to come. And, you know, what I, what I read in, when you read in verse 24, it says, um, his power will be mighty, but not his own power, but not by his own power. Sorry, because remember the devil incarnates him and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy temple. Notice the running theme, Melissa, is the word he, not system, not thing, not entity. He, if God was like, "Mm, yeah, it's just a system. Why would he choose his prophet, Daniel, the prophet that you seem to love and can't understand either? Why would he have him pen the word he? So then in verse 25, and it says, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit. Let me repeat that. Through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. Right? So, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. Wow. Is that not a powerful verse? right there. And he will magnify himself in heart and he will destroy many while they are at ease. That's the beginning guys. That's the beginning of the tribulation. He comes in on a false peace. So all of a sudden now the world is in a state of kumbaya and peacefulness and ah, this is so nice. Look at our savior. And that is my fear with QAnon. And that is why I'm doing what I am doing. QAnon, the followers will think that this is their Messiah because of the false peace, the pseudo peace that this Antichrist will bring on the planet. The first three and a half years, although it's peaceful, and I'm using air quotes, so when that false peace comes, there's still going to be war, there's still going to be death, there's still going to be famine, the economy is going to tank. I mean, so these are things that will happen, but However, he explains that because I won't be here. That's where the deception is going to come in. And that should scare people. And I just, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. So the Gentiles who were left are going to be at ease. The Israelites, because remember the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. I'm going to like create a song for that. Um, so they are at ease, right? And then it says in Thessalonians, when peace and security, then when they're saying peace and safety, yay, we're secure. Yay, yay, yay. Our savior has come. Then sudden destruction will fall upon them because they're not paying attention. They're not looking. They're looking at a false Messiah. And then it goes on, um, you know, in other passages regarding the Antichrist. And then, of course, we read in Daniel chapter 7, uh, 9, sorry, uh, Daniel 9, verse 27, that the rapture happens, then this Antichrist comes on the scene, and then he'll confirm a covenant with many, which is Israel and nations. He will confirm a greater 
um, Habir, as uh, J.D. Farag says in his native tongue, that word means make greater this peace treaty. So anyway, that's how it goes. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to dive into the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. And I hope it's not going to be a two-hour episode. If it is, we will definitely divide the episode. So enough with me chit-chatting. We're already 12 minutes in. I know your time is valuable. Uh, so again, this is this is a really important episode, just kind of like the rapture. I sat there for a little bit, sat there for a little bit with the two witnesses and other um, pertinent uh, things in Revelation because she twists them so badly. We have to dive into truth. So again, we're going this week. We're going to dive into truth first. So if you don't want to be Bibled up, you can fast forward to Melissa and then you can hear the false. But the reason we're doing it this way is because you have to hear the truth first of who the Antichrist is and other little videos I'm going to put in there. And then we're going to lead into the falsehood. And then hopefully, again, if you're born again, the spirit will convict you and wow, wake you up and say, Melissa is way off. And if you're not saved, hopefully the Holy Spirit will still convict you and you will fall upon your face and say, wow, I need Jesus. So anyway, guys, be blessed this week. As always, grab your coffee, grab your tea. We're in for an amazing, amazing episode. Let's take a quick break. Everyone is podcasting these days. If this is something you want to do or you're already doing it, I would recommend using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has tons of guides to help you find the right equipment at the right price. I currently use the Blue Yeti. Buzzsprout is an extremely user-friendly platform, and I could not be happier with their services. There are so many things that this site allows you to do, from your show being listed on every major podcast platform, to the audio player that you can use seamlessly on your websites, to the detailed analytics of what we, come on guys, the podcasters want to see. Don't lie, I know you look at that too. We want to know who was listening, where they're listening, how long they're listening. There are zero hassles because Buzzsprout provides these tools and more to help promote our podcasts. Fellow podcasters, do we not work hard? Well, I am here to tell you that Buzzsprout works even harder to make our podcasts stream streamlessly. Yes, I know that's not a word. If you want to join a company that already has over 100,000 podcasters, click the link and let Buzzsprout know that we sent you. This will get you a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. And in addition, of course, it'll help support our show. Don't delay. Start Buzzsprouting today. Because if it's not 100%, it can't be truth. So he'll give you enough ground, about 90%, without it going over the edge and becoming actual truth because your average person out there who is not rooted and grounded in God's word cannot see the difference. So many people in this world have bought into a deception because they don't start as their starting point with God's sufficient, infallible, inerrant word. 
they just buy into a system that looks so similar and they can't quite see the difference because they don't have on the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation. And it looks so similar and they buy into it and Satan says, I've got you. Because I've got you in a lie. It's a lie that you think is truth, but it's not truth because it's about a 99% replica of the truth. This is why the world at this time is going to fall in love with the dragon and the beast and the false prophet because the whole thing looks so religious. It looks spiritual. In fact, if you're sort of a, a person that doesn't know much about the Bible, it looks quite biblical. Politics. And number two, the world of spirituality or religion. Once he gets control of the two, those two realms, there's really not much more he needs to have to deceive the masses and to deceive the world. So we're going to begin our journey here by taking a look at the first beast, Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. And here are the 13 points we're going to be marching through. There's points 1 through 7. First points 8 through 13, you say, well, wait a minute, how are we going to beat the Baptist to the cafeteria for Mother's Day celebration if you go through all 13 points? Well, you can, you can rest easy. I won't be going through all 13 points today. But don't tempt me. I may be tempted to do it. But notice, first of all, the first point, notice the first beast, notice his sudden appearance. Uh, take a look, if you could, at the beginning of verse 1 there in chapter 13. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, do you remember who the dragon is? The dragon is Satan. We've carefully explained how to define the various symbols in the book of Revelation. And in prior sermons, you'll remember that the dragon is the devil himself, the serpent of old. The book of Revelation calls him that in chapter 12, verse 9, and chapter 20 and verse 2. So Satan here is standing on the earth. He's standing on the sand of the seashore. Now, why is he doing that? Because he's been kicked out of heaven completely. We've talked about the fact that Satan, even in his fallen state, has the capacity to go into God's presence, not to worship and serve as he once did as a high-ranking angel, but rather to communicate and to accuse. In fact, we're told in the Bible that Satan accuses us before the Lord how frequently, day and night. And aren't you glad you have a good defense attorney? In the person of Jesus Christ. Apparently, about halfway through the tribulation period, this privilege that Satan has is taken away and he plummets to the earth. He comes to the earth because the earth is the only realm or the only domain that he has left. And as we have talked about, Satan uses people. This is why your Bible says things like this in Ephesians 4. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give the devil a what? A foothold. Satan can't possess a Christian. 
Because your body is the temple of the what? The Holy Spirit. But he, and I don't think God and Satan can be roommates. Amen? Judas and the first beast are called the son of perdition or destruction is because these are the only two people in history that will actually be possessed by Satan himself. Just as he possessed Judas to attack the first coming of Christ, he, I believe, will possess the beast or the Antichrist, thwarting in Satan's mind the second coming of Christ. More on that a little bit later. But the coming lawless one, or the coming Antichrist, or the coming beast, is going to be a man. That's why I have entitled this message, The Coming World Ruler. Before Jesus comes to establish his kingdom upon the earth, there will be an, what we would call an artificial substitute, a counterfeit, a counterfeit that will be palatable to those that reject the authentic. It's interesting to me that the more a person rejects truth, the more their mind becomes opened up to artificial substitutes. And this is the sorry state of the human race before the overwhelming conquest of Jesus Christ. Massive deception is predicted to hit this planet. And this coming lawless one is an actual man. He's a person. The reason I emphasize that is there's a lot of people out there teaching today that the Antichrist is not going to be a person. There's just the spirit of the Antichrist. They like to quote 1 John 4 and verse 3, which talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. I wish they would read the whole verse. What does the whole verse say? Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard is coming, but now is already in the world. Here is a quotation from Irenaeus. Irenaeus is one, just one generation removed from John who wrote the Apocalypse. The chain goes like this, John to Polycarp to Irenaeus. So Irenaeus would certainly know quite a bit about what the Bible originally meant. And Irenaeus says this in his book Against Heresies. For when he, Antichrist, is come and of his own accord, concentrates in his own person. See that? He shall do according to his own will and choice so that his dupes may adore him as the Christ. Towards the end of the quote, he says, His prescience foreseeing all this and the proper time sending such a man. He's an actual person. In fact, this person is so real, I think it's possible he could be on the earth today. In fact, I believe this. Satan does not know when the rapture will take place. Once the rapture takes place, the restrainer will be removed. The Antichrist will have his way. Satan, not being omniscient, but being a created being, does not know when that event is going to occur. So he's always had someone waiting in the wings. 
Should this be the generation that sees the removal of the restrainer? And that's why you can look at so many people in history or so many people in public life today and you say to yourself, wow, they would be a heck of an antichrist. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, wait a minute. I thought he was called the beast here. Is he a beast or is he a man? The reason he is called a beast here is not to subtract from the fact that he is an actual person. He's called the beast here to emulate or to reveal what his true character is. His character will be beastly. It will be animalistic, sort of like a ravenous beast that has absolutely no conscience. The reason he is called the beast is because that is what his character will be like. Peter, by the way, the apostle said something very similar about Satan. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, he said, be sober, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, what's the next word? Like, figure of speech, simile to be exact. Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter says, you know, Satan isn't a lion, but he sure is an awful lot like a lion. In terms of a ravenous animal that has no conscience. And I think that's the reason he is revealed here, this coming Antichrist, as a beast. So we move away from his sudden appearance in John's vision and we move here to number two. Notice his Gentile ethnicity. There are many, many people that will tell you that this coming Antichrist is Jewish. Notice what it says there in the second part of verse one. John says, then I saw coming out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horn were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Notice that this beast arises out of the sea. Now, many people say he must be Jewish because the event that will start the seven-year tribulation period will be a peace treaty between the Antichrist and unbelieving Israel. That peace treaty... And I believe largely the world stage, as you look at Israel entering into one peace treaty after another, is being set up before our very eyes. But whenever this restraint is removed and this beast or this man of sin comes forward, he will enter into a peace treaty with unbelieving Israel. The book of Isaiah chapter 28 calls it a treaty with hell itself. Once that treaty is entered into, the seven-year countdown following the rapture begins. And people say, well, the Antichrist must be Jewish because the Jews would only enter into a treaty with a fellow Jew. They would never enter into a treaty with a Gentile, guaranteeing her security. But you see... I believe that there's information here in Revelation 13 that indicates that this coming beast will not be Jewish, but he will be a Gentile. Why do I say that? You'll notice verse 1 that he comes out of the sea. Now, do a study on the sea. And you'll discover that the sea represents in the Bible, typically, when it's used symbolically, 
the mass of Gentile nations. For example, over in Isaiah 57, verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the tossing of the sea. And then, as we've studied in Daniel 7, verse 2 and verse 3, that chapter which talks about these Gentile powers coming forth, it says they come forth out of the sea. I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirring up the great sea. Verse 3, and four great beasts, Gentile powers, were coming up from the sea, different from each other. In fact, when you go over to the book of Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, it says this, And he said to me, The waters, that's the sea, which you saw where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. A careful study of the sea indicates that the sea is not the land of Israel. The sea would represent the great mass of Gentile population. And therefore, I believe that this coming beast will not be Jewish, but he will be Gentile. One of the reasons I think this is because he is operating at the end of a time period that we have studied very carefully in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 called the end of the times of the Gentiles. It's a period of time when the nation of Israel is trampled down by various Gentile powers. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Finally will come the Antichrist kingdom. And doesn't it make sense that the end of the times of the Gentiles would be headed by a who? A Gentile. If you want to make a case for Jewish identification, I would not identify the first beast as Jewish. I think there's a much better case that the second beast, the religious leader, will be Jewish. Why is that? If you look at verse 11, it gives you a clue. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the what? The earth, that's the Greek word which can also mean land. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The second beast does not come out of the sea, he comes out of the land. And when you do a study on the land, what you'll discover in the Bible is the land can refer many times to the land of Israel. Zechariah 12 and verse 12 says of Israel, the land will mourn every family by itself, the house or the family of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. Land is Israel, sea is Gentile population. So my current thinking on it is the first beast will most likely be a Gentile. The second beast, it very well could be, will be a Jewish individual. But we continue to read here and we come to number three. You'll notice how the first beast, where we're focused this morning, is now fulfilling Daniel's prophecies. 
Daniel himself gave a series of prophecies about this coming world ruler all the way back in the 6th century BC. And notice what it says there in the last part of verse 1 of chapter 13 of this first beast. Notice what it says. Having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horn were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, if you're a student of the book of Daniel, what you'll start to remember is this relates very much to Daniel's prophecies given six centuries before the time of John. There are two issues here. What does it mean by ten horns and seven heads? And then what in the world is verse 2 talking about? Where it says, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard... His feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like that of a lion. In fact, my family and I just watched uh, together The Wizard of Oz, and I was reminded of, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you guys have seen that movie too, huh? What do we make of these animals, and what do we make of this ten horns and seven heads that are so intimately connected with the first beast? Well, let's see if we can tackle these one by one. What are these ten horns? Well, we know from Daniel 7 and verse 23 that the Antichrist one day will preside over what we would call the New World Order, a one world government that will devour Daniel 7, verse 23, the whole earth. All of the talking and speaking today about a global government, one world government, these politicians, they can't even get through their speeches without mentioning globalism. All of the, you know, sort of sayings that people have, you know, act locally, think globally, all of these kinds of things. I call it globaloney myself. But you can see how the psychology of the world is being prepared for this coming one world government. And when we go to Daniel 2, we learn that this world government is going to be divided into 10 kings or 10 kingdoms. I would say it this way, 10 regions. I remember when one of these uh, one world organizations, the Club of Rome, came out with a map a few years ago. And they had the world divided up, not into nine regions, not into 11 regions, but how many regions? Exactly 10. And I said, oh my goodness, this idea is alive and well in the thinking of fallen man. Daniel 2 and verse 44 says this, in the days of those kings, what kings? The 10 kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom will be not left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. In order for God's kingdom to come, the stone cut without human hands, in order for it to shatter this ten king confederacy in the days of those kings, what do you have to have first? A ten king confederacy. The nations of the world divided into ten, ten kings, ten kingdoms. Perhaps it's talking about ten regions. And that's the best explanation I know of for the ten horns on this beast. By the way, you'll notice in verse 1 that on each of these horns 
later called heads, which I'll explain in just a minute, are blasphemous names. Yes, the coming world ruler will be primarily political, but his involvement will also move into the religious realm where he will engage in some of the most blasphemous, most anti-God statements, activities, and programs a human being has ever done. So I think this is a pretty good explanation as to who these 10 horns are. Well, you say, well, wait a minute, pastor. I'm reading this very carefully. It doesn't just say 10 horns. It says seven heads. He's got 10 horns and seven heads. What does that mean? My short answer is I'm not entirely sure, but I can give you the options. Daniel 7 verse 24 says this, as for the 10 horns, out of his kingdom, 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones. Look at the end of verse 24 on the screen. He will subdue three kings. So you have this 10 king confederacy all over planet earth and a one world government. And then the Antichrist shows up. And he takes control of the whole thing. And yet, what does it say here? Three of the 10 won't cooperate. So they must be subdued. So he rises to power, seven cooperate, three do not. So the three must be subdued. According to my old math, 10 minus seven equals what? Three or 10 minus three equals what? Seven, you say, I didn't know we had to do math for Bible prophecy. But that may explain why it's 10 and then seven. Maybe it's an explanation of the three non-cooperative ones that get subdued by the Antichrist. That's a possibility. But there's something else that's a possibility. Notice, if you will, Revelation 17. And notice, if you will, verses 9 and 10. Look at what it says here. And we haven't gotten to that section yet. And we're going to have a lot more to say about it when we get to that section. But I think it gives a tremendous hint on how to interpret this ten horns and seven heads. When it's talking about the system of the Antichrist. It says this, here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and people say, well, that's the seven hills of Rome. Well, keep reading. The seven, and they are seven kings. So the seven mountains is a symbol for what? Seven kings. Can we have some more information about those seven kings? John says, I'm glad you asked. Five have fallen. One is... And the other is yet to come. He must remain a short while. So these seven heads are seven kings. And when you study the book of Daniel very carefully, you'll learn that king and kingdom are kind of used as synonyms. It's like saying uh, the, the Reagan administration. You're talking about a person but then you're talking about the administration that he governs. 
That's how these seven kings or kingdoms are used, and they represent seven heads. Now, when you go through the Bible, what you'll discover is there have been seven empires that have been hostile to the nation of Israel. Seven anti-Semitic kingdoms. The first one is Egypt. Egypt, of course, is where the nation of Israel was taken into captivity for 400 years in the time of Moses. The second one was Assyria. Assyria was the empire that God used to scatter the 10 northern tribes in 722 BC. Then after her came Babylon. Babylon, of course, was the Gentile nation that took the nation of Israel into the 70-year captivity. And then following Babylon came Persia. It was under Persia that we read about a very wicked king named Haman who developed a plot to exterminate the Jews. We read about that in the book of Esther. Uh, the Persian Empire was followed by the Grecian Empire. And that was the empire of the Alexander the Great. It was later the empire as Alexander the Great's empire was divided of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus Epiphanes, just depends on which syllable gets the emphasis, as we like to say. It will cover the whole earth and we call that Rome phase two. So the last time I checked, how many anti-Semitic kingdoms do you have here? You have seven. Those are the seven heads that we read about in Revelation 17 verses 9 and 10. Those are also the seven heads that we read about in Revelation 13 and verse 1. The ten horns, I think, represent the ten king confederacy, which will exist contemporaneously with the Antichrist. The seven heads would represent the embodiment of all of the anti-Semitic empires that have come before and are now represented in one composite anti-Semitic beast, the beast we're reading about here. But what in the world do we do with these four animals? Wizard of Oz, here we go. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like that of a bear and his mouth like that of a lion. Now, in our studies on the book of Daniel, and now you can understand why we studied Daniel first, amen? Daniel is the basement, the book of Revelation is the ceiling. It's very difficult to understand this material without a foundation in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we read about four kings or kingdoms during the times of the Gentiles that would trample Israel down. And you remember how those kingdoms were described. The first one was like a lion. Daniel 7 verses 3 through 7. That would represent the empire of Babylon. Secondly came a bear. That's also in Daniel 7 verses 3 through 7. And that would represent the coming empire of Medo-Persia. Third would be a leopard, and that would represent an empire that would come into existence centuries after Daniel had died, and that empire is called Greece. And then would come a fourth beast, a terrifying beast, sort of a nondescript 
beast, and that would represent the coming empire of Rome. So we have a lion, we have a bear, and we have a leopard in Daniel 7. And my goodness, what are we reading about here? A lion, a bear, and a leopard. Now, look at this. This is very interesting. You see the order Daniel puts them in? First would come the lion. Second would come the bear. Third would come the leopard. Why does Daniel put them in that order? Because from Daniel's perspective in the 6th century, the next one on the horizon was the lion or Babylon. Then the bear or Medo-Persia. And then the leopard, which would represent Greece. Isn't it interesting that John there in verse 2 puts them in the exact opposite order? The leopard is first, the bear is second, the lion is third. Why the difference? Because Daniel is giving you the chronology from a 6th century point of view. The nearest empire to him in the chronological time period would be Babylon, but not so John. As John in the first century looks not forward, but is now looking backward, to him, the nearest one was Greece. And then the next nearest one would be Persia. And the one in the far distance looking backward would be Babylon. So it is very interesting to me how the details come into sharp focus when you begin to understand the time frame of the different writers of the Bible. One is giving a 6th century BC perspective. Another one is giving a 1st century BC perspective. And you see, it's only through diligent Bible study that these interesting details emerge. Your average Christian will just read right over this, not understanding what it is. But not so you, because you are no longer a normal, well-adjusted, psychologically healthy person. You go to a church that's interested in prophetic details where your pastor, who's certainly not normal, well-adjusted, or psychologically healthy, points these things out. But these things are important because we believe in inspiration of the Bible right down to the exact words. In fact, right down to the exact letters that comprise the words. In fact, right down to the exact strokes of the pen that make up the letters that make up the words, that make up the sentences, that make up the paragraphs, that make up the ideas. And God has given us an awful lot of things to study here. Amen? So what is he talking about, John, in Revelation 13, where he sees this beast coming, and this beast is like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion? Well, it's hard to interpret that without verse 12 of Daniel 7. Daniel 7 and verse 12 is sort of just passed over by most people. But I think it's in Daniel 7 verse 12, you start to understand what John is talking about here in Revelation 13. Notice what Daniel says as he describes these four beasts. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. Notice this. But an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed time. Yes, each beast would be defeated politically, but as that beast was defeated politically, it would continue to live culturally within the empire that had just conquered them. 
So we know that Persia conquered Babylon politically, yet Babylon continued to live culturally in the Persian Empire. And it's very interesting that when you study the conquest by Babylon of Persia, Cyrus, and I didn't bring in all the archaeological evidence to document this because your minds are numb already with everything I'm trying to say. In part of verse 2, where we're given a description of his satanic empowerment. Notice the second part of verse 2. And the dragon, who would that be? Satan. Gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. So the first beast that's coming has a throne and he has great authority. And how in the world did he get those things? Verse 2 is very clear. They came to him through the dragon. And we know that the dragon, Revelation 12 verse 1, verse 9 rather, and Revelation 20, verse 2, is Satan himself. And that's why Revelation 13 follows Revelation 12. See the cutting insights you get by coming to Sugarland Bible Church? Chapter 13 follows chapter 12. Chapter 12 is Satan's hatred for Israel. Chapter 13 are the two entities that he's using to bring forth this hatred and this world domination. Uh, there in verse 2, it describes it very clearly. If a miracle happens and we get a chance to do verse 4 today, you'll see the exact same thing. In fact, it's sort of interesting, and you guys uh, can tell what kind of week I've had looking into all this stuff. What an interesting week this was. It's interesting that in Revelation 12, verse 3, it says this, and another sign was seen in heaven and behold a great red dragon who's the dragon satan having seven heads and what ten horns aren't those seven heads and ten horns on the beast also in other words what satan has seven heads and ten horns are now a dominant characteristic in the person that he's using the beast or the antichrist himself and one of the things I hope you're starting to see as we're moving through this material is how Satan is imitating God. You'll notice here it says, the dragon gave, doesn't that sound like grace to you? The dragon gave him, that's the first beast that we're studying, his power and his throne, and his great authority. Everything that God does, Satan imitates. In fact, I got so worked up about this, I put together this chart. And there's part two of the chart. <laughs> and, uh, I, gosh, I wish we had time to teach through the whole chart. Maybe we do. But what this chart shows, and you could take this chart and probably expand it in your own studies. It shows that everywhere you have something Jesus does, God the Father through God the Son, Satan is imitating. In fact, when you go down there to number 11, you'll learn that God the Father gives a throne to God the Son. Isn't that what the dragon here is doing to the beast? The dragon is giving the beast his throne? 
through gift or through grace. I mean, that's exactly the program of God the Father through God the Son. One of the things you'll see in the Bible is the Trinity. We believe in one God, yet he has manifested himself in three separate personages. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity. Are you seeing a satanic Trinity here? What you're seeing here is the dragon, one member of the Trinity, the first beast, a second member of the Trinity, and a third beast, uh, another beast coming rather, at the end of the chapter, a third member of the Trinity. And you'll see this over and over again as you go through the book of Revelation. You'll see how Satan is imitating God. In Revelation 13 are the two people Satan uses to fulfill his plan of world domination and eradication of the nation of Israel. These people are, number one, the first beast. Revelation 13, 1 through 10. And number two, the second beast. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. We have been introduced to the first beast or the Antichrist already in the book of Revelation. He is the rider on the white horse with the first seal judgment, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. The one who comes on the scene and seems to solve the world's problems. We've also run into him in Revelation 11, verse 7. He is the beast that killed the two witnesses in the city streets of Jerusalem. And yet God, as we have studied, brings those two witnesses to life. So we've had some glimpses, if you will, of this coming beast or Antichrist. We just haven't had a lot of in-depth information about him until now. But once you hit Revelation 13, you get an in-depth description of him and his associate, an individual described in the second part of the book, or the chapter, I should say, the second beast. If I had to distinguish these two beasts, I would say this. The first beast is primarily political. He's a political entity. The second beast, which obviously we won't get to today, is primarily a spiritual or religious entity. A political figure in the first part of the chapter and a religious figure in the second part of the chapter. And those are two realms that Satan always seeks to get control of. It's about this coming world ruler, the Antichrist. It's interesting, he's called the little horn. So he arises first insignificantly. That's why when people always write me today and say, well, who do you think the Antichrist is? And, you know, they're trying to figure out the Antichrist. We don't know who he is today. He's going to rise insignificantly. If someone were significant on the scene today, that's not him because he's going to rise from insignificance. So um, this could be someone who is uh, a backroom bureaucrat, right? That's right. Not a clue. That's right. And my view is that I think Satan always has a man ready in every generation. I think there's always an Antichrist who's alive somewhere. That's interesting. An interesting that's an interesting thought. That is. But one of these days when everything's ready, whatever man he has ready in that generation is going to step to the forefront and become this uh, world ruler, this dominant player on the world scene. And I don't think the Antichrist will be revealed until after the rapture.
So all these people who try to figure out who he is, I always say, if you ever do figure out who he is, I've got bad news for you. You've been left behind. Don't focus on who Antichrist is. Focus on who Christ is That's right. until the rapture takes place, right? That's right. But he is going to come someday and be revealed. And the Bible says a lot about him. There are about 100 passages in the Bible that deal with this coming world ruler, the Antichrist. Say, so, say again, how many? About 100. Wow. Yeah. And so people will say, well, why even worry about the Antichrist? We're not even going to be here. Well, why did God tell us so much about this? person. You know, I think one of the reasons God tells us a lot about the coming Antichrist is because we can already see the spirit of Antichrist today in we our can. world. Yes, we can. And also another reason I think God shares with us about the Antichrist is the Antichrist is going to ultimately be defeated by God. And if God is going to defeat someday the greatest concentration of evil that's ever existed, then that gives us comfort that he can take care of the evil we see in our world today. But what are some other clearer definitions of the Antichrist? Well, the Antichrist, I think, is going to rise from this reunited Roman Empire. Again, we don't know what country for sure he's coming from, but we know he's going to come out of this uh, reunited Roman Empire. I think he's going to be a Gentile. Um, you know, the early church believed he was going to be a Jew. Many of them did. But he rises up in Revelation 13 out of the sea, which speaks of the sea of nations. The only uh, type or foreshadow of the Antichrist in the Bible was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes back in the book of, of Daniel. And he was a Gentile. And also the Antichrist is going to lead the final form of Gentile world power. And he's going to be a great persecutor of the Jewish people, which seems odd to me if he's a Jew for him to be persecuting the Jews. Great point. So I think he's going to be a, a Gentile. He's going to be someone, though, who's going to come on the scene as a great peacemaker. And you think about what does the world want today more than anything else? Someone who can bring peace to the world, peace and prosperity. And that's what that's going to be his platform and his promise. And he's going to do that for some period of time. But at some point in time, the, the iron fist inside the velvet glove is going to be going to be unveiled. And he will be the most iron fisted, uh, ego, egomaniacal leader the world has ever seen. And Mark, you can see the way the world is today with instantaneous communication, oh, yeah. how very quickly news can spread and power can be established and influence can be made just because of media platforms. That's right. The globalism we see today is setting the stage for him to come on the scene and the technology that's available today, because the technology available today allows someone to keep track of where people are and to know what people are doing. So all these things we see coming together really fit uh, what the Bible says about a coming world ruler who's going to come on the scene. Distinguish the difference between the rapture, which prophetically occurs seven years earlier, where we meet the Lord in the air, and the second coming of Christ, as it's called at the end of the tribulation. Yeah, I like to call one the rapture and the other the return, because at the rapture, Jesus good. doesn't really come back to the earth. That's good. Because a lot of people will say, well, you all believe in two second comings. You, know, you believe in a rapture and then a second coming. No, there, there are two phases, I take it, of the one coming. At the rapture, he comes for his saints, and that's an event of his grace to us. At the second coming, we, he comes with his saints. We come back with him. And that's an event when he comes back to judge and, and to take over the earth. So we believe in a, a distinction between those two events. And really, I, I see the rapture as a signless event. It's an event that can happen at any moment. It can come at any time, whereas there'll be a lot of signs in this tribulation period that will precede the second coming. So when we move to this physical second coming of Jesus, first coming was in Bethlehem's. Uh, right. birth. 
the physical second coming is now he returns. Is there something there about uh, on a horse or is that symbolic language? What, t what does that mean? Yeah, he comes back on a white horse, the Bible tells us. He's going to come back to rule and to take over. Uh, yeah, the, the white horse, people, people take these things differently. You know, it says he's going to have a, a sharp sword sticking out of his mouth. But that could be truth that he speaks yes. because he's the word of truth. That's right. And I take it that that speaks of, yes, his word that's coming out. But he's riding a white horse. So they'll say, well, if that's symbolic, then the horse is symbolic. But, you know, it is true in the Bible. There are, there are horses. Uh, the, the chariot of horsemen of fire came down and caught Elijah to heaven. So maybe some type of heavenly creature that God has created. But clearly a white horse, though, in that day spoke of someone coming and, and taking control and speaks of victory. Let's get now to the Battle of Armageddon itself. Jesus Christ, along with the family of God, redeem, his redeemed, return to this earth and there is conflict. Right. So who's fighting whom? Well, it tells us there in, in Revelation chapter 16 that all the nations are going to be gathered to Armageddon. In fact, there's a fascinating passage there in, in chapter 16 that says that the Euphrates River will be dried up to make way for the kings of the east. Now, we don't know who that is. Some people have surmised, well, that's China because, you know, it's in some an army of 200 million. But yeah. all we know, they're invaders from the, from, from the east. The, the, the way is open for them to be able to come into the land. So all the nations of the earth are going to be gathered there together in that place. But it says whenever that Jesus returns that they're going to see him, they're going to turn to fight against him. You know, it's interesting. The rapture is going to be an event that happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The second coming of Christ, it says every eye will see him. And my friend, Dr. John Walver used to teach the second coming might last for 24 hours. Think about it, as the earth rotates, everybody will see him. Now, he could reflect it all the way around the earth. and Everyone could see it in a moment. But it may be a, a dramatic an event that takes 24 hours as people begin to see Jesus coming and he comes to the earth. And these armies are going to turn to fight against him. And, of course, you talk about being futile. Uh, but it's going to be man's last attempt to rid themselves of God. And Jesus is going to return and destroy the armies gathered there. And, uh, and reign victorious over yes. that. And so there's a, a period of time when all the world will see. And Jesus comes and confronts uh, those enemies who have uh, been empowered by the evil one yes. to defame him and his glory. What happens then after the very last enemy of Christ is destroyed or defeated? Well, like the very end of chapter 19, it says the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet, his henchmen are thrown alive into the lake of fire. There's two people in the Old Testament went to heaven without dying, Enoch and Elijah. Two go straight to the lake of fire without dying. It's a, it's a powerful picture. Interesting insight. But God de deals with the false prophet there and the beast, the Antichrist. Then in chapter 20, he deals with the third member of this unholy trinity. He deals with Satan. And it tells us there when Jesus returns that Satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years. And Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth, the messianic kingdom that's promised throughout the Old Testament. So the Antichrist is destroyed, false prophet is destroyed, they're thrown into the lake of fire, e eternal damnation or whatever those yes. equivalents would be. And then Satan is dealt with. Yes. And then at that transitional point, this is the establishment of the thousand-year reign of Christ on That's earth? That's right. Yeah, we call it the millennium. It's the, it's the word, obviously, mille means thousand annum. So it's a thousand years when Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth. And it's the greatest event in human history. Uh, we, we can't get our minds around. What's it going to be like when Jesus Christ, and we're going to be with him if we know him. I think we'll be coming and returning to this earth with him. And again, to, to, to think about that, to get our minds around that, we need to live today in light of the fact right. that we're going to come back as a holy army with him.
What's this mark of the beast? How does it fit in into the narrative? Well, the Bible tells us in, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 to 18 about this mark of the beast. It's the only time that the Bible really refers to it. And the word mark there in, in, the, in the Greek language means it like a tattoo, really, or an, or an etching or something that's scratched into something. So it says it's going to be upon the right hand or the forehead. And it says you can't buy or sell if you don't have the mark of the beast. Now, people wonder all about this as some kind of chip that's under the computer skin chip. or computer chip or barcode. There's been all, all kinds of speculation. The mark of the beast is 666 there in, in the book of Revelation. And what I think this is, is it, it says there that it's the number of a man's name. Now, some have taken 666 to be one short of 777. In other words, God is perfection with seven. And this shows that this Antichrist who says he's God is actually 666. But I think it's actually going to be the numerical value of his name. In other words, you can, like in the, the Greek and Hebrew language, you can take the letters of the alphabet, they have numerical value. And so you can take a person's name and actually add that up and you come up with a number. So I think his number will, his name will actually equal 666. That's how he'll be identified. So when people take that mark on their right hand or forehead, they'll actually be taking his name upon them, which pictures the idea of ownership. Is this during the time of Antichrist when Antichrist is yes. at, it's at his prominent place uh, in the world of leadership and, and basically the execution of how economy is done will be through this mark? That's right. It's going to be that last three and a half years, I take it, of this coming time of seven years of tribulation on the earth when he's going to rule the world. So not only will there be a one world government, but there will be a one world economy. And we can see how that can happen today very, very easily. I'd like to point out, too, is a lot of people think the rapture starts the seven year tribulation. Uh, the seven year tribulation starts, Daniel 927 tells us, when the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel. So, you know, the rapture could happen today. And the tribulation could start next week, next month, maybe a year or two from then. There could be a gap of time that will allow for some further preparation. But at some point in time, this Antichrist figure is going to come on the scene and make a treaty, the Bible says, with Israel. And that's going to trigger this seven-year period of time. But it's divided in Daniel 9.27 into two halves. Uh, there's a first half and a second half to it. The first half of that period of time, Israel's going to enjoy peace. And I think at the beginning of the tribulation, there's going to be a time of worldwide peace. It says in Thessalonians, while men are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to come on them. So the world is going to finally get its uh, desire peace of having prosperity. some peace and prosperity. Yeah. But at the midpoint of that tribulation period, there's going to be some events that happen that trigger the Antichrist in is going to take the world over. And so that second half of the tribulation period, that last three and a half years, He's going to dominate the world and rule the world, and it's going to be a reign of terror that's going to come, really, when he's on the earth. So the first half is going to be Antichrist forming the coalition, uh, or made the coalition with other nations around the world, and a peace treaty is signed with Israel, so there's peace, and we've got the global currency going on with the mark of the beast, and so there's prosperity, and then we'll move into the second half. Is there any tip point? Is it the signing of the peace treaty? Uh, how far along is it? Uh, is it that maybe three and three and a half years after the signing of the peace treaty mm -hmm. that that begins to take? You'll, you'll see the peace and there's some kumbaya in the world. And then there's a tip point. And the yes. last half is, uh, is Antichrist basically breaking the deal? He does, yeah. It says at the midpoint of that covenant, of that seven-year period, he breaks the, the treaty with Israel. So I call it one of the greatest double crosses of all time. 
And then what he's going to do, you know, the mask is going to come off at that point in time and he's going to begin to persecute the Jewish people because obviously God has made promises to them. Right. Satan wants to get rid of them right. and wipe them out. But he's going to dominate the world at that point in time. So this world is going to end with this great apostasy, the Bible calls it, a great falling away when this one man is going to be worshipped as God. We've been talking about the end of the tribulation period. I guess the end really comes there, that seven-year period at Armageddon. Does you know the Bible uh, tells us that really the the culmination of history uh, of this age is the Battle of Armageddon and the Second Coming of Jesus Christ, and really they happen kind of in conjunction with one another. The Battle of Armageddon is interrupted by the Second Coming of Jesus. Uh, Armageddon that, that word's only used one time in the Bible. It's in Revelation chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. Yet it's probably the one word that people know about the end times more than yeah. any other. Armageddon, but it's actually a literal place in, in Hebrew. The word Har means a hill or a mountain, and so it's it's really Mount Megiddo, and uh, Mount. If, if anyone's ever been to Israel, they know that little that site there of Megiddo that That's overlooks right. the Jezreel Valley or the Valley of Megiddo, Megiddo yeah. twenty miles long, fourteen miles wide. Napoleon called it uh, the world's most perfect battlefield. Interesting. And so the Bible tells us in the end times, right before the second coming of Christ. All the armies of the earth are going to be gathered there to the land of Israel. Now, it's interesting. It never tells us why. They may be gathered there because things haven't been going that well. They're going to come to try to destroy the Antichrist. Uh, some believe it's there to try to once and for all wipe out the Jewish people. But what we do know is when the armies are gathered there to fight, that the Lord Jesus is going to return from heaven. He's going to interrupt uh, this battle of Armageddon. It's been called, you know, the mother of all wars. Yeah. But that's where world history is going to end. One of the things I think is fascinating is I studied world history as a, as a younger person. You end up, all you study is wars. <laughs> when you study world history. We're defined by wars, aren't we? We are. We're defined by wars. Every, every nation kind of is. And, and really, uh -huh. history is going to ultimately culminate at this mother of all wars, this campaign of Armageddon. Mark, as we continue, um, the birth of Israel does seem to be, in 1948, that does seem to be the, the moment and time in history when, when the church could look and say, okay, the, the, the prophecies for the most part have been completed. And then we move into the era since the end of World War II, the birth of Israel, and you see uh, transportation acceleration. You see uh, international communication, things that probably even prior to World War II mm -hmm. seem bizarre or strange to read. But today, we've seen what's happened in the last 60 years. And it is phenomenal when you see how quick communication, banking, globalization, as you mentioned, it all just seems to fall in line. Plus, all of the geographical activity that's mm -hmm. happening with nations surrounding Israel. That's it funny. just seems, again, to be taking us down a prophetic highway. Well, it does, because you read Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's a passage, it's right after Ezekiel 37 that predicts the regathering of Israel in the end times. Ezekiel 38 and 39 mentions a coalition of nations that are going to invade Israel in the end times. One of them is Rosh, which I believe is, is the nation of, of Russia. Is that the army to the north that, yes. you, that you speak right. of in the Bible? Yeah, and also Persia is mentioned in that passage, which Persia was changed to Iran in 1935. Right. It became the Islamic Republic of Iran in the late 1970s. So here you have these nations mentioned and others as well there. Well, it's not very hard to envision those nations coming against Israel, what we see happening over there now. So a lot of the coalitions the Bible speaks of in the end times are coming together, just as the scriptures predict. So th there really are a lot of signs out there for us today that lead us to believe that, that the coming of Christ could be very soon. Practical application as a pastor, you're a theologian, uh, you're a scholar, you're, you, you spend a lot of time looking at the Bible through a prophetic lens. How can we as Christ followers uh, best prepare? Is there a 
occupy until I come? Is there an aggressiveness or do we just, are we passive and just wait? What do we do? You know, in the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some has been encouraged one another. And then it says, and do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, that must mean we can see the day drawing near. He, or that, or that really wouldn't make any sense. And so I think that what that's telling us is as we see the day drawing near, we ought to ratchet up our own spiritual lives, the intensity of it, the urgency. Every place that the, that the coming of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament that I can think of, there's always practical application. In 1 Thessalonians 4, some believers have died, and he tells them about the rapture, and he says, comfort one another with these words. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks all about the rapture, and then he says, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain. John 14, you know, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. So it's a comforting word. And then the, the last one I love is in 1 John chapter 3 where John says there in the passage, everyone who fixes his hope on him purifies himself as he himself is pure. So the, the coming of the Lord is a purifying hope. So it's a purifying hope, it's a motivating hope, it's a comforting hope, it's a calming hope. There, every place it's mentioned in the New Testament, there's always that application with it. And I can't think of anything more comforting in these days in which we live than to know that Jesus is coming back someday. Amen. And he's going to uh, deliver us from the coming wrath. When the Holy Spirit's taken out, we're going to be left here? And that's, that's one of the deals with the rapture of the church. If you're, if you're going to say that, that Christians have to go through the tribulation, they're going through the tribulation without the power of the Spirit that we have in Acts chapter 2. All of a sudden, God's removed the influence of the Holy Spirit at that point. Because when you get to the book of uh, Revelation, the Bible never teaches that we are overcome by Satan. The Bible teaches that we can tread on serpents and that we can tread on scorpions and that all the power of the enemy is, is something that, that we can defeat. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said. All of a sudden, you get to the book of Revelation. The Antichrist comes along, and he has power over the saints to overcome them. We just read this in Revelation chapter 13. And the point is that you will conform. You will conform to this um, when this comes along. Uh, when you get to Revelation chapter 14, we'll talk about it next week. But in verses 9 through 11, it talks about the doom of the people who take the mark. And it says there's no hope for you. In fact, the Bible talks about the fact that God is warning these people at the time that they don't take the mark. If they take the mark, uh, the actually, let's, let's just read it. Um, 9 through 11, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark, on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So there's a warning given to these people that they're not to take the mark. This is serious stuff. And again, you see that in Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life and of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, and uh, again, um, you have this. So we're close. We're close to this. And everything that an Antichrist could need, could want to implement this stuff, is already in place. 
And, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked about tattoos. They, they have um, RFID tattoos that they use with animals right now, with cattle. And so you can, you, you can have a scanner. They've tattooed uh, the neck of certain animals. That's, that's one of the places that they put tattoos on horses and cattle and that kind of stuff. And it's invisible. You don't have to see it, but it sends out a radio frequency and you can identify it 40 feet away. We are right in the middle of this stuff. It's about to happen. And so exactly what the Bible prophesied 2,000 years ago, this is crazy um, specific prophecy. Exactly what the Bible prophesies in that passage 2,000 years ago is exactly what we can have right now. And we're really close to it, really close to it. We are now going to move into the lies. And this is where we will end the podcast for this week. So I trust going into the truth first and now hearing Melissa will really, really prick your spirit and you will hear the difference of light and dark. Light being the men of God that you heard, dark being the false deception of QAnon. And again, this is pre-election and time is running out. I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I am just telling you that time is running out. And if you are following this Q deception, you need to get out of it and you need to get out of it real quick. Revelation is real. Revelation is not symbolic. We're going to go into just a little bit next week where we put a close to this chapter of QAnon and this disgustingly heretical book. And then from there, Lord willing, we will have pastors on here and they will rightly divide God's word for you. And uh, if, again, if you want to come on the show and if you have any questions, that's what we're doing this for. You need to reach out, ask those questions so we can answer them for you. Anyway, guys, this is Melissa will end this week's podcast. So I'm going to end it here. Say so you all have an amazing day. And uh, I know I'm going to end it on my little snippet that I put at the end. But I just felt led to say it. Look up for our redemption is drawing near. All right. Please understand this is. This is the most controversial verse, I think, in the whole Bible. And it is from this verse that they have taken and created an entire superstructure of, of a teaching, basically, that says that at some point in the future, which the future is always way out there, you never know when it's going to happen, but that there will be, <coughs> excuse me, that there will be an Antichrist who comes. He will make peace. And make everything, everyone think, oh, everything's going to be wonderful. And then he will build a temple. He will go into the temple and he will do something horrible. Everyone will recognize he is the Antichrist. And the whole world will just completely just come unglued. And at that point, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and and literally from heaven and, and uh, set foot on the Mount of Olives. Um, so they get this from various places. Um but primarily, this is this is the main the main verse. Well, the complicated the problem is you can't take a make a whole teaching out of one verse, especially this one, which is prophetic and symbolic and understandably complicated. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's ripe for um, them to use this to um, have a deception. So let me read it to you. 
And then I'll go into what they are saying it is. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Okay, so they are saying that this is the Antichrist and he's going to make a covenant, make a treaty with many for one week. Okay, so there's going to, some people maybe say literally one week, but whatever it is, for whatever period of time, he's going to make some peace treaty. Okay, so that in itself is telling you this is this is a dangerous thing because then you're not going to trust someone who's really trying to make make peace okay and so that it makes you feel like wait i don't think i can trust that person so anyway he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation or the offering the worship okay to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate okay so this is obviously very packed verse it's very deep and complicated okay so let's unpack it but understanding that i don't think it's the way that they've taught us that they have um that the seminaries have been sending this message out to the churches and it's been disseminated to the masses okay so this is this is again what they're saying is the antichrist he's going to make a treaty then next thing you know, the whole thing comes unglued. He's going to cause the sacrifice, the worship to stop. He's going to have abominations everywhere. It's going to be, you know, a big Armageddon on everybody. Okay. So again, I don't believe that's the, that's what it's saying. So let me go back and, and show you what I believe is truly happening in this passage. I believe that these two passages right here are parallel passages okay you can't always just take the bible and just say well it is all um chronological okay that's where people get messed up in revelation too thinking the whole thing is chronological this thing is too is too big and it covers too big of a span of time for it to all just be boom boom boom, boom, boom chronological and so read it this way consider it prayerfully this way okay in verse 26 and after three score and two weeks shall messiah be cut off but not for himself now everyone pretty much believes that this is the lord jesus christ that he will be cut off at that and this was what daniel understood that at this point in his and his and understanding his calendar he knew that this was the time when jesus would come and he would be cut off he didn't necessarily understand exactly what was going to happen but now we know that that's when he went to the cross for us and he his time of life was cut off but we know that through that, through the cross, that he has received a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord, the King of Kings of the entire world, right? So everyone would say that, yes, that is Messiah when he went to the cross, not for himself, but for us, right? To pay for our sins on the cross as the Lamb of God. Okay, so then the next passage, it says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined okay so that whole portion would be talking about the 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 beast the evil one comes in and they're trying to destroy any good thing that, that the lord jesus has done stop the stop the prayer stop the worship stop all these things and cause all this flood of evil flood of demonic activity all that 
even until the end of the war. I think it's about the war of Armageddon. I don't believe Armageddon is just a short seven year war, a short period of time. I think it's been since the Lord Jesus was here or even more. It's, a, it's the ultimate battle of good and evil. I'm guessing very likely that Paul, when he was there, he, they were saying, well, why didn't Jesus go ahead if he's the king? And he died on the cross and that he's been given a name above every name, that he is the king of the world, that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the king. He's the Lord. Why did he not take on? Why did he not take ownership of this world that he owns? Why did he not assume his role as the king? Because clearly it has not appeared that he has done so. And so he would talk to them about that. Why? And kind of like what I've talked about here, it that he wanted that the believers to be all over the world. He could just make everyone a puppet. He doesn't want it that way. He wants us to rise up. He wants us to rise into these positions. He wants us to take dominion. And yes, by his spirit in us, but he wants us to rule and reign with him. He doesn't want robots. Okay. You know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Okay, so who kept this back? Yes, they hid themselves because they didn't want people to know. But I think that the Holy Spirit did not want this to be revealed yet. It was not the right time. And when the, when the Holy Spirit... Uh, he said, okay, it's time. All of a sudden, he began to speak to everyone's heart and, and, and enlighten our minds and enlighten our understanding so that we would under, would know what's going on. In nutshell is, this is this has been the tribulation. All that the New World Order has done, it's just the beast. The New World Order is the beast. All this time, they've caused all these proxy wars and all this disease and all this deception. That's the tribulation. We've been in tribulation. When it says they said it was the, the great tribulation. No, it's, it's, they've been, the Bible says we've been under great tribulation for all this time, but there would be a tribulation that would be so great that they would, it has to be cut short. And that's what's happening now. It's happening now. All their plans that they did uh, to attempt to, with the pandemic and the chip and the vaccine and all of that, it's being cut short and they're not going to be able to accomplish their evil tasks. Said, this is biblical times, biblical times. Now, for those of you who are in the Q Army, if you aren't, go to QMap.com and get with the program. It's awesome. But the Q, uh, Q posts have said, count, I mean, 10 times, biblical, biblical. This is biblical. He said that so many times. He's shown us the video. He said, this is biblical, biblical, biblical. All these times he said it's biblical. But this was the first time he said biblical times, biblical times biblical times oh goodness i just saw it was at 317 oh wow that's cool um and i've been meaning to talk to you about that oh i have to write myself a note make sure to tell you that at the end but okay so this is the thing biblical may sound like monumental right but biblical times means this is the fulfillment of god's promise this is the fulfillment of god's promise what promise what covenant has he made with us that he would return one day to kick out the beast and the false prophet righteous war and it's going to be done righteously it's going to be done lawfully and in in decently and in good order um so look here at uh in revelation chapter 13 so it says 
Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and 10 horns with 10 crowns on its horns. Don't get tangled up in that right now. We're, we'll talk about that. That's actually on my Revelation 13 video. But um, And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast like a leopard was like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and a mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and throne and authority. This is fascism, Nazism. This is the rise of this uh, oppressive regime to take over the whole world. Also, they asked me about well, what about the man of sin, him being revealed, the man of lawlessness. Now, if you don't think we've had lawlessness, I think you need your head examined. We've had lawlessness out our ears. Lawlessness, it's been absolute lawlessness. That's what's so amazing about having another, the Supreme Court justice who is going to be installed by President Trump because he will be someone who's a, a strict constitutionalist, says this, the law and order. That's the whole point of the borders, the whole point of, I mean, on and on and on. It's just been absolute lawlessness. If you are awake, if you've been red-pilled, you know there's the man of lawlessness. Well, is it a particular person? I don't believe so. I believe that the man of sin is the man of lawlessness, is the beast, is the new world order. We've been waiting for this to happen, and it's here. We realize this guy, this monstrous new world order has taken over the whole world. It's not just a, in the... Um, uh, empire, Roman Empire. It is, it is the the new Roman Empire that's just gargantuan all over the world, right? Those poor people in Venezuela, the poor people in Syria, the poor people in Korea, the, all over the world, and it's all been one beast, right? This is all one, and it's just, it's so huge, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling, right? And that's why it's so complicated to dismantle. But our wonderful president and his team and we. Our Q army are doing it right. So, like, like Q says, be proud. So, the mark of the beast and the chipping and all that, y'all. That's not the mark of the beast. Is what they do. Ugh, the mark of the beast is their evil things that they do. You don't have the mark of the beast. You don't have the mark of the beast at all. These people, we know what they do. We know what they do to children. We know what they do with the blood and the sacrifices and all that. No, you don't have the mark of the beast. They do. Okay, don't worry. And yes, they've been able to, because they were part of this evil secret society. Yes, they've done these evil things and they have been able to say, oh, we want, we run the world. We're the ones who are running things and you're basically our slaves. Okay, you see what I'm saying? It's not about, oh, it says you will neither be able to buy nor sell. It's not about that we will, we won't be able to go to the grocery store and buy food. It's that we won't be part of their, their, uh, cabal, their, their team, their secret society, which I don't want to be part of anyway. Patriots, I'm just going to do a short video to try to help everyone understand what is the mark of the beast and what it is not. That's one of the main questions I get all the time. Okay. Here's, Here's a whole section of the different verses dealing with the mark of the beast. And let's just look at the one, Revelation chapter 13, verse 17. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. That's just one of them. You can look at the different ones that I have on here. I'll put a link at the, at the bottom. This is the point. Everyone's afraid that we're going to be chipped, not everybody, but a lot of people are afraid we're going to be chipped or we're going to have to take that mark or we won't be able to go to the grocery store and buy or sell. They are trying to freak everyone out.
Do not buy into it. This is fake news. Let me tell you what the mark of the beast is. Not going to go into great detail, but it's the satanic rituals. When they, the people who've been in power, take, when they will do this, when they will do these horrible, horrifying, satanic rituals, they get sent right up to the top. They are in high positions of power, high positions of wealth, high positions of prestige. All of that they get because they have taken the mark of the beast. And the rest of us are slaves. That's the way they've looked at us. And they are willing to lie, cheat, steal, kill, whatever, to protect their secret society of all the others who have done this. Okay. That is the mark of the beast. It makes sense. They have taken that mark to themselves to say, I, they just crossed over a horrifying line. Okay. Now I want you to see one other one real quick at the very bottom, Revelation chapter four, um, chapter 20, verse four. Um, I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Okay. So this is us. We have said, we will not do this. There is a line we will not cross under any circumstances. We're not going to do cannibalism and the satanic rituals and the child sacrifice and the pet. We're not doing any of that. Okay. So don't worry. Do not be afraid. The Lord is coming to our rescue. And these people who have taken this mark, this horrifying mark will be cast out. Every one of them. I have so many videos about how the Lord is coming to rescue us from these demon worshipers. Okay. So just be encouraged. Do not let them freak you out. Okay. You guys have a great day. Let's go into revelation chapter 16. I heard a mighty voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go your way and pour out the, on the earth, the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Do not be afraid of this verse. Do not be afraid. This is not on us. That's what they've tried to make it out. Like, oh, God's just indiscriminately just going to be pouring out wrath. He's mad and he's going to have a temper tantrum. He's going to make be, tear everybody up. No, that's not what it's about. Um, and the last chapter, which I didn't go into, it, 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 it you know, draws into this. But anyway, so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And you horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. That's not you. And again, it's not about a physical mark. It's about these people have been doing some horrible things. We've found that out. We've discovered that it's been horrible to find, to, to read some of this stuff that they've done. It's just horrible, right? And how they, uh, how they've attained power and held power through their satanic forces, their demonic power through, blackmail and robbery and lying and hurting people and children and uh so that's the mark to our passage about the mark of the beast here it is in revelation chapter 13 verse 16 through 18 he required this is talking about the beast which i 
have told you guys on many videos that I want you to watch all the videos because it really helps you to understand what's going on from a biblical standpoint and how the Lord already has he's given us the guide map of what's going on um, and he's he's basically given us like what Q is telling us but from a from a really big big picture and uh, this, this was all his he this is part of the giant plan he allowed the enemy to keep to keep going because we did not stand up to fight against him and now we we finally are okay so this beast that has has infiltrated the whole world this is the new world order this is the globalist this is the man of lawlessness the man of sin all the same thing this is the the eighth kingdom or the eighth empire as i've talked about on other videos this is all the same thing, okay? This horrible beast with iron teeth, okay? He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, slave, slave, <laughs> free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one who with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. All right. So this beast has required, because they have so much power, so much influence all over the world in every nation they have had, okay, until now, and they have required. It's not something that's going to be happening in the future. It is has already happened that they've required people, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. It's not about a physical mark there's just no way i know scripture well enough to know that this is the way that the bible talks but it's symbolic okay and revelation is so filled with symbolism so what does it mean by the right hand the right hand is your hand of power your hand of decision making um when we shake you know hands we're shaking with our right hand do you make decisions based upon what the lord leads you to do or is it based upon what the dark side is it based upon kindness or is it based based on malice is it based upon um uh selflessness or is it based upon greed okay so this is what these people have cho chosen to do that they want to do anything to get their way and to do evil is that's fine with them you on their right hand they have this mark that they're going to not a physical mark but this is what they're going to do to get what they want and on the forehead. So what's the forehead? That's your mental capacity. Are you using your mental capacity for the Lord? What you think about, what you, you know, you use your mind for good things, or are you using your mind for like what the Operation uh, Mockingbird uses, where they deceive, uh, or the Operation Paperclip, where they've come over here and, and infiltrated our government and infiltrated our science and in, infiltrated our education system to teach error and deception and anti-god teachings and rhetoric so that's what it's talking about it's not a physical mark that misses the point the point is what do you do and what do you think okay you have to decide for yourself are you one who follows the lord in your actions and in your thoughts or do you follow the enemy no one can buy or sell anything without that mark which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So in our country, basically it has been that you had to, if you wanted to do well financially, you have to go to these liberal colleges and you have to agree and acquiesce to their, their teaching. 
and get a paper that basically says, yes, I agree to their teaching. And I know that many people have gone to college and they maybe passed the courses and they didn't buy into it. But unfortunately, we many, many have. So that's what it's talking about. No one can buy or sell anything without that mark. Well, it's not that someone's not going to be able to buy food. They have used this to freak us out. And they've made it where, oh, you're not going to, you know, you go to the grocery store and they won't sell you food. No, that's not what it's talking about. So, hey, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. As always, I trust that you enjoyed it. And if you did, I ask that you subscribe right here to this YouTube channel. Or if you're listening to us on a podcast platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, we've added two new ones, Pandora and Amazon. Please go ahead and subscribe there as well. I think on platforms, uh, I think like Pandora, it's called Collect. So whatever option it's giving you to make sure that you follow our podcast, just select that option. And it's twofold. Honestly, it kind of garners how many listeners we're getting and who's subscribing to that channel. And it's also going to help you be notified when we upload a new episode. So Life Clips is kind of moving. It's morphing into something a little bit more than what we started just because of the nature of the world in which we're living right now. With that being said, if you want to be notified, you need to subscribe. You need to subscribe and it's free on everything. Anything that you subscribe on is free, both YouTube and also the podcast. Please, if you want to be on this podcast, I welcome anybody, and I mean anybody on this podcast. You can email us at lifeclipspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is lifeclipspodcast at gmail.com. You can also, if it's easier, Facebook message us. So we are on Facebook and Instagram at lifeclipspodcast, all one word, lifeclipspodcast. Also, in case you want to find us, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to find us on YouTube, we are Life Clips Podcast. Yes, but Life Clips is one word. So please make sure that you note that. Life Clips is one word. I think that's it, right? So anyway, with all that being said, I'm going to save the best for last. And as always, when I end my podcast, it's the most important news that you'll ever hear. It's the most encouragement a Christian will ever hear and one day we will get to see. So look up for our redemption is drawing near.